This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. A lot of the conversation in the business world about building value of a firm may end up uh, including merger or acquisitions being factored in. But what about the role of building value through divestiture? That's a topic of the new book by Wharton management professor Emily Feldman. It is titled Divestitures, Creating Value Through Strategy, Structure, and Implementation. And a pleasure to having her join us right now. Emily, happy holidays to you. Thanks for a few moments today. Thank you, Dan. Good morning. This is obviously an interesting idea because, as I said, you know, a lot of times when you think about building value, it's adding into the mix. You're talking about, to a degree, taking something out and still being able to build value here, correct? Correct, yes. And that's what's really counterintuitive about the book that I uh, have recently published and, and the work that I've been doing here over the past uh, many years here at Wharton. So take us through the book. What, what is it about these components of strategy structure and implementation that you see are key in this process? Yeah, definitely. Right. So let me kind of start with an overarching statement, and then I'll go through the strategy, structure, and implementation pieces. Right. So I think the overarching message of the book is that, you know, there's an incredible amount of pressure for companies to expand uh, and grow, as you said, often by mergers and acquisitions. But a lot of times uh, those strategies and certainly the implementation of those strategies uh, is severely, if not fatally, flawed. Um, and so what my, my work has shown is that oftentimes uh, the idea of focus is overlooked by executives and uh, that this is really the missed opportunity that uh, could really be pursued uh, in the sense that, uh, you know, divesting, removing uh, assets and businesses that don't fit, that might be underperforming, could free up uh, resources to pursue better opportunities uh, in a more focused fashion after uh, after the completion of those transactions. So I think that's kind of the, the headline, right, if I had to kind of distill it down. You know, in terms yeah. of strategy, structure, and implementation, you know, strategy really refers to the different reasons why companies might pursue divestitures. And so I analyzed four of them in the book. Uh, as I mentioned, the idea of uh, resolving underperformance or exiting underperforming businesses, uh, the idea of improving focus, um, the idea of reconfiguring and kind of reshaping the corporate portfolio to move into more profitable opportunities, uh, and then, of course, regulatory requirements. So that's strategy. Um, structure refers to the different types of divestitures that companies could pursue. So sales is the most common, but also spinoffs uh, and various kinds of uh, other other transactions that, uh, that could be utilized in, in various different circumstances. And then finally, implementation having to do with sort of the nuts and bolts execution of these strategies and how companies actually go through uh, and put them into practice. How often then do we see cases where, or, or maybe the better question is how rare is it that businesses or leaders of businesses consider a divestiture as an option? Well, I think that's a great question, right? So, you know, what my data show is that on average, companies pursue two to three M&As for every one divestiture that they undertake, right? So it's, it's double, nearly triple sometimes um, the, uh, the, on the M&A side relative to the divestiture side. But then even worse, right, if you look, for example, at the S&P 500, fully, fully 70% of them never divest in any given year. And that's true going all the way back to the year 2000. Right. So this is what I mean by the missed opportunity, right, that companies almost just don't think about it, that it's a blind spot. Right. 
but again, you know, if we look at that value creation potential, what we end up observing is that the data really show that divestitures on average create two to three times the shareholder value uh, of, of M&As, right? And so, you know, I think that's the great pathology here that, you know, companies and executives are almost pursuing uh, exactly the wrong strategy when it comes to that shareholder value creation perspective. But would it be safe to say that maybe the the concept of going down the divestiture route is seen a little bit as a failure? You know, you've brought something on in a prior time and, and you're talking about going the divestiture route, which is basically, as you said, either spinning it off or selling it off, whatever that process would be. And you're not maybe fulfilling the original prospect. Yeah, I think that's very true, although I do think that it highlights an important misconception about divestitures. So the point that I think is true is sort of the stigma that's often associated with these transactions. And it's exactly the reason that uh, you just articulated that, you know, divestitures are seen as, okay, we, we, bought, we bought something and it didn't work out, so now we're getting rid of it, or we pursued a strategy that uh, didn't pan out the way we had anticipated, and so we're shifting gears and so, you know, to an extent, in, in certain cases, that might be true, right? So there, there could be circumstances in which companies uh, do divest in response to failure, not, not minimizing that. But I think what's important to recognize is that there's this whole world of thinking about divesting more proactively, right, in the interest of, as I was mentioning, kind of, you know, what could we be doing that we're not doing because we're holding on to this business, maybe not because it's underperforming or failing, but just because we could do better things with our money, our time, our attention, our other resources, our people, you know, resources are finite within organizations, especially large organizations. So that idea of being proactive has nothing to do with failure. So in a sense, I, I really see that the stigma that is often applied to divestitures as sort of signs of weakness or failure is really misplaced in, in many circumstances. Right. And and I would imagine there are certain circumstances where the divestiture, you know, may be kind of the obvious answer to be able to uh, to solve an issue. Well, right. And I, I think that's what is quite challenging about these transactions as well is, again, kind of coming back to that inertia or that reluctance to pursue them. So as you said, right, you know, sometimes it is the right answer, right? And it's, you know, sort of clear, especially to uh, external constituents like activist investors, for example, which I can talk about more. But, you know, there's sort of all of these pressures, organizational pressures that, you know, sort of argue against uh, doing those transactions, right? So, you know, managerial compensation is super strongly correlated with market cap, right? So there's a financial incentive yeah. not to divest because uh, doing so basically reduces the executive's bottom line, right? So that could be one argument. You know, oftentimes we'll hear... Uh, arguments that, oh, if I divest, I'm going to have a huge tax bill, right? Or if I divest, I'm going to uh, lose the cash cow that's funding the rest of my operations. Or I can't divest because this is the biz business that granddad founded 100 years ago, and that would be very uh, emotionally costly to the family that runs the company, right? So my point is that there's always, you know, sort of, or often, maybe not always, explanations or stories about why divesting can't or shouldn't happen, but a lot of times those stories, you know, simply aren't true or there are ways to get around them. Uh, and so in that sense, you know, that inertia could easily be overcome and the right answer, you know, divesting could actually be pursued. But it's that hurdle of overcoming the inertia that I think is really challenging for many companies. Right. And you also, you mentioned before the role of the activist investor 
and we're seeing that play out more and more these days. Uh, and and really, the pressure that those those investors are bringing forward on the company uh, on the day to day operations, and I guess to degree, Emily, there's also the element of the social component, the pressure that the communities and the public in general are kind of bringing on to a lot of these companies with some of the the uh, the avenues of business that they may have under their umbrella. Yeah, I think it's a great point, and you know, just to kind of add some some color on the activist investor point. You know, so so what we end up observing is that activist investors actually demand in their campaigns against companies in in uh, over over a quarter of campaigns against companies they demand that companies do divestitures, right? So that's pretty significant if you think about it. That you know one of the main avenues for value creation uh, that activist investors are proposing is, hey, look, you, you know you're too diversified, or you have businesses that aren't fitting, or you again you could do more with your resources in other areas. Why don't you get rid of these uh, these uh, these these areas that are not adding value or that maybe are adding less value and pursue these other opportunities? So what my research has shown is that when companies follow these activist-driven recommendations to divest, that those divestitures in particular actually even outperform sort of the average positive effect that I was already talking about. So you know, yeah, I mean, this external pressure to uh, kind of pursue these transactions and, again, to kind of overcome perhaps the organizational impediments that might be uh, at play within companies is a huge source of value that uh, could be uh, could be attributed to activist investors. You also raise an interesting point about the social pressure, right? So this is one area that I actually haven't seen research but would be very interesting is, you know, yeah, give, amidst the, uh, the current environment where we see lots of social activism, does that drive divestiture decisions, right? So maybe a shout out there on the research side to any academics who might be thinking about interesting topics to study. I think that's a really interesting idea. You also, in reading some of the background about the book, it notes that you believe that there's an importance to this book in the academic setting as well. If you can, touch on that for a moment. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, much in the same way as we observe, uh, you know, almost a prioritization of M&A over divestitures in terms of the activity that companies pursue or the transactions that companies pursue, you know, equally from an academic standpoint, if we look at the uh, prevalence of research studies on M&A versus divestiture, I think the number uh, is something like 150 studies over the past 10 years in, the, in the, the top academic journal of strategy about mergers and acquisitions compared to 20 or so on the divestiture side, right? So equally, we kind of see this imbalance um, in the representation uh, of, of divestitures uh, from a research perspective. And so, you know, I think the two go hand in hand, right? The practice and the academic side that, you know, we don't see it as much in practice. So maybe academics don't study it as much in their research. And so round and round yeah. we go. But perhaps once, you know, uh, companies and executives begin to realize that this is a, a real source of value creation that they might be able to pursue in their companies, that that balance will shift a little bit and we'll start to see more, more research activity You're on the divestiture side. You're obviously doing work in this area, but should we be surprised that maybe there hasn't been more of a focus, more research about this this kind of idea, this this uh, this thought process of thinking about divestitures and the value that they may be able to provide to a company? No, I mean I don't. I'm I'm not surprised by it at all, and I think it ties to many of the same points we were already making in terms of the fact that, you know, again, right there's this big, um, you know, sort of 
uh, pressure or preference to grow and expand, right? So maybe it's not surprising that we see, you know, academics wanting to study these, you know, big, sexy transactions, M&A with splashy headlines and synergies and big numbers and, you know, all these uh, all these exciting things that are happening, right? So I think I think this ties very much back to some of the comments we were making around, uh, you know, sort of the, the perception or maybe the misperception of divestitures in this regard. All right, so let me swing back to the the implementation side, if I can, because when you get to that certain point, you're you're looking at at kind of changing some of the processes, the structures that would be building out that would benefit from a, a change like a divestiture. Correct. Correct. Exactly. What What then is the expectation then of of that part, that implementation side, the benefit longer term? for a company to be able to go down that road, to be able to go down that divestiture road. And, and I guess to to a degree kind of reshape a lot of the perceptions about, uh, about a company uh, from that perspective. Yeah, it's a great question, Dan. And so let me take it in two parts, right? So part of implementation, the first part of implementation that I would highlight that can add value from a long-term perspective is the idea of you know reconfiguration, right? What are we doing that we're now getting rid of and how does that cause us to perhaps reshape, uh, you know, sort of the existing structures that we might have uh, within the organization. For example, like the cost structure, right? What do we actually keep in terms of physical facilities? Uh, how do we think about uh, managing shared uh, shared resources with the business that we're divesting? You know, so all of that is, is backward looking in a sense, right? That we are yeah. sort of reconfiguring what we already have, right? And sort of looking back at the existing structure. But the second part, and this is, I think, you know, maybe the piece that's a little bit uh, more counterintuitive, is the forward-looking piece. And so, you know, what divestitures often can catalyze, especially in companies that are managing them well, is these opportunities to rethink uh, how resources are allocated within the company, right? So, you know, again, in line with what I was saying before, what are we doing uh, right now and what could we be doing you know, once we have gotten rid of this business, right? How are we freeing up resources that might help us pursue better opportunities? Should we rethink our resource allocation processes, how managers are spending time and attention, et cetera, right? So I think that's one yeah. uh, kind of forward-looking aspect. The other, which you mentioned as well, is perception, right? So, you know, we were a company that used to do X, and now we're, we're rid of, uh, you know, yeah. the big part of the business that was, uh, that was involved in that industry or that line of business. So how do we reshape how the rest of the world sees our company, the investment community, uh, various stakeholders? Uh, do, we, uh, do we change the company's name to try to manage perceptions? What other changes do we try to make to influence the way that the company is seen uh, by, by these external constituents? So that forward-looking piece of implementation and sort of uh, reshaping the way that the company might be seen, I think, is a critical but overlooked uh, part of the divestiture implementation process that my book really touches on uh, a good deal. Even on the renaming of a, of a, of a spinoff to another name, it, it can be as simple as doing that as just kind of you know charting another path for that piece of the company. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just to give some, some data around this point, right, 50% uh, of companies that do divestitures actually change their name in conjunction with that transaction, which I think is an enormous number, right? That's a big number. But then even further, the companies that change their name in conjunction with a divestiture actually outperform those that don't change their name in conjunction with a divestiture. So again, it's this point of value creation, right? You can do the transaction, and that's great, and on average, that will create value. 
But then there's a whole set of tools and tactics that you can pursue at the same time as doing that divestiture uh, that can really amplify or reduce in certain cases, but hopefully amplify the value creation from those transactions. Do you think that there is there is a path then, you know, to be able to see this as as a as a better option in certain circumstances for companies? And obviously, each each situation where this could come up is going to be different from from another. But still, just at least the mindset from a corporate perspective of thinking about a divestiture as an option is maybe something that you know maybe it changes the mindset of leaders as we move forward. I think that's exactly the point, and I think that's exactly the right word, Dan, the idea of mindset, right? So, you know, right now we live in a world where it's just too often not – these transactions, divestitures, are just too often not considered, uh, not even thought about, right? It's just not even on the table. And, you know, it's not to say – and this is certainly not the message of the book – that companies should always divest, and this is a panacea that, you know, can be used in any situation, but rather that it's this thought process that – you know, hey, look, you know, what what is our portfolio, right? What is our strategy? What are we trying to accomplish as a company? And does the composition of business units that we have within our organization maximize our potential to uh, to create value for our shareholders, for our investors? And if the answer to that is no, you know, now we have this tool, or at least we're thinking about this tool uh, that we can use to uh, hopefully try to at least move in the right direction, if not achieve these objectives. So I think that that's the real point of the book, right? That it's a it's a shift in mindset yeah. and it's really an embracing of, you know, down to brass tacks, what strategy are we pursuing and how are we how are we really uh, kind of allocating resources to actually achieve that? Emily, it's always great to have you with us uh, and thanks for your time and good luck with the book. Thank you so much, Dan. A real pleasure as always. You got it. Emily Feldman, uh, Wharton Management Professor, The name of the book is Divestitures, Creating Value Through Strategy, Structure, and Implementation. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.